an award-winning actress, producer, social activist, and philanthropist, Marlo Thomas has been a role model for women and girls since she blazed the trail as television's first single woman living alone in the hit television series, That Girl, in the 60s and 70s. She received four Emmys, a Golden Globe, and a Peabody Award for her work in television and has been introduced into the Broadcasting and Cable Hall of Fame. In 2004, Marlo created Marlo Thomas and Friends. Marlo now proudly serves as National Outreach Director for St. Jude. She is the driving force behind countless fundraising and awareness efforts to educate the public about the life-saving research and treatment done every day at St. Jude. Today in our conversation, we talked about what it looks like to have been married for over 40 years years. This was such a fun conversation. And of all of the favorites Marlo could have picked, she picked her five favorite dates with her husband, Phil Donahue. You guys, this episode is so precious. I hope you love it as much as I did. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is your Faves Faves. Well, so let's jump in. What is your first date on your list? My first date is January 1977. I went on the Donahue show. Oh, and gosh, okay. I had, and I had not ever seen the Donahue show because it wasn't in Los Angeles at that time. And it was a really a Midwest show at that point. And like in two years later, it was LA and New York. So I'm in the green room waiting, you know, to go on. And uh, I didn't really want to do it because it was nine o'clock in the morning and he only had one guest for an hour. And I said <laughs> to my press agent, I'm not smart enough at 9 a.m. for an hour. You know, she said, well, that's the way he does it. And you have to do it. He's the biggest thing in the Midwest that was promoting a movie. But anyway, so I went. he came into the green room and it was like those shampoo commercials and everything went kind of slow, you know, and, he was so gorgeous with his white hair and his bright blue Irish eyes. I, I just went, I, that was it. I just, I just fell for him. And then I Aww. found out later, I found out later that he fell for me too, you know? And uh, so we got into the, to the uh, room, into the studio audience and we just flirted for like a whole hour, the two of us. I mean, it's truly the most embarrassing show you'll ever see. And I was how talking funny. about I was talking about feminism and how I never wanted to be married and how I didn't think marriage was a good institution for women and going on and on in my, you know, militant feminist way and saying things like, oh, Phil, you're so funny, Phil. You know, just, <laughs> I did a complete jerk. Oh, at the end of the show, uh, he said to me, well, you're just fascinating. And I took his hand and I said, you are so nice and you obviously like women. And whoever is the woman in your life is very lucky. So, and were you fishing? Were you fishing to no, find I out if there was a woman? Oh, okay, you're being sincere. Up the air, you know. I was just paying him a compliment that I really felt. And as we were, as I left the studio, I was on my way to go to Denver to do other shows. You know, I was around going around the country, and I was going out to the car to leave to go to the airport. The producer was with me. His his producer. And a nice woman. And I, I said to her, wow, he is really cute. And she said, yeah, and he's available. <laughs> Isn't that so funny? And what happened then? Was and then, like, you got a number? Like, what, what's next called, step? He called me. 
he called me, uh, and that's my second good date, was he called me um, the next day, I think it was, and he said, I'd love to take you to lunch or something. And I said, well, I'm in Denver. Is Denver very far from Chicago, you know? And he, <laughs> and he said, oh, no, Denver's not far from Chicago at all. And uh, I said, well, great. Why don't you come have dinner with me? I was at the Brown Hotel in Denver. And, um, and he came. And uh, that was it. <laughs> wow. That yeah. is so cool. And I, also, I like sort of the next day call, because I feel like that's something that doesn't really happen now. I feel like someone gets someone's number and then four weeks later, they oh. send a text. <laughs> yeah, he didn't get, he didn't get my number from me. I, 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 I actually, I don't know, believe, I guess they told him I was at the Brown Hotel, Brown, Brown Palace, yeah. the Brown Palace in Denver. And, and that was, it was funny because, um, he, my husband is a very low key guy. You know, he's a middle class Midwestern guy. And the studio had this gigantic limousine waiting for me to take me to all the different interviews and stuff. So he was taking me to dinner and I said, let's hop in the car. He said, no, I don't want to drive in a limousine. Okay. So we walked to the, to the restaurant and it started to rain. So he, I said, do you want to get in the car now? He goes, no, we don't need a car. Okay. So the limousine is following us to the restaurant. And it's <laughs> Very pouring, pouring rain. He takes off his jacket, like a fine gentleman that he is. And I put it over my, I had a, a she said I look like Spider Woman. I had a, I thought a very sexy black jumpsuit, which he thought, told me weeks later that I look like Spider Woman. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I had his jacket over me and he was sopping wet. He got back to the studio. He, then he flew out the next morning. Uh, to get in time for work, and he lost his voice. So they did the show, but at nine a.m., but he couldn't really talk, and so it didn't. It, they couldn't play it. Oh and it was, wow! And Phil never missed a show in his entire night twenty-nine years of doing the Donahue show. So this one show, the first time, his date with me, he loses his voice, and they have to throw the show out. Oh my so, gosh! Yeah, oh yeah. So. Everybody was already not liking this uh, idea. <laughs> You're already trouble. Right. Already trouble. I was I'm curious, like at this point, how old were you guys? Like, was this, I, was, you... 30, I was 37. Okay. okay. And he was divorced with four, he had five children and the four boys lived with him, which I didn't know all that. And uh, so if I was 37, he was 39. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, wow. and I never wanted to be married. He had been, mm -hmm. he got married like at 21, you know, by the time. Before I think it was Phil was twenty eight and he had five children. I mean that's oh my gosh, well, wow! That's Catholic, you know we're, we were raised Catholic. right, yeah, right. I mean, he, he really stuck with it. I, 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 I'm a, you know, I, I was a good Catholic girl, but I, I didn't want to get married, and so that was the end of that. In the, in terms of the Catholic wow. church, yeah, yeah. When I did my book, uh, well, I, we did our book together. The what makes a marriage last. It was interesting how many people knew right away that mm. this was it. Like George Stephanopoulos and Allie Wentworth, they, they knew right away. They had lunch and they walked away from the lunch and said, he's the one, she's the one. Aww. Yeah. And sometimes that happens, you know, yeah. I don't know. Did that happen for you? Yeah. The, when I, when I met, I'm, I'm divorced, but when I met him, I, he walked into the room and I was like, 
that's the father of my kids. And he is. And he had, and he is, and we had 18 incredible years together and I consider it a massive success, but I knew when I talked to him for the very first time, I was like, that's it. I know. It's just amazing. Yeah. It it really is. So on that first date, were you like, oh shoot, I'm going to marry this guy, even though I didn't think that that was something that was I wasn't thinking marriage. Okay. Okay. No, no, no. I was thinking I would never get married, but I was thinking I'm sexually attracted to this man <laughs> without marriage i'm sexually attracted to this man yeah there's those still i don't know what those hormones hormones are that mm-hmm. there's a name for it all where they just connect in the yep. cosmic world like the pheromones yeah yeah and and, and there it is it just is uh i i knew we i knew it was we were talking on the show you know i think and this is something that some of the couples that I interviewed, Phil and I interviewed, is that, you know, when you sort of are with a member of your tribe, mm-hmm. you know, I felt that I'd, I'd known him before, mm-hmm. you know, he wasn't foreign to me. And I grew up in Hollywood and I had a lot of boyfriends and everything. But when I met Phil, I felt like he was the breed of person, the kind of man who was more middle west middle class like my dad mm-hmm. you know we grew up in an affluent hollywood community but that wasn't the meat of my family my mm. family came my father came from toledo you know oh wow and my mother came from detroit and so and my husband came from cleveland so cleveland and toledo couldn't be closer together right and right. those those people are are different mm-hmm. you know, it's, you're different from different regions of the country, you know, what you grow up with. Yeah, and, and what your values are, for sure. Right. And, and, and right away, I realized that, that there are very important words that we uh, define the same. You know, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, what's mm-hmm. good, what's bad. You know, I mean, I've been with people where I've said, well, that's completely not fair. And they go, what do you mean it's not fair? With Phil... Fair and unfair is something we understand. So mm-hmm. that's what I mean by your tribe. You know, your right. people who were raised in a, and maybe it's because we were both raised Catholic, but I think a nice Jewish boy would have the same thing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just a matter of, uh, uh, yeah. Another one of my favorite dates is that Phil and I were never going to work together. We, we decided that. And everybody wanted us to do a show together. They asked us to host the Emmys together. And we decided early on that we didn't want to be, you know, Dick and Liz. You know, we didn't want to be a, a famous couple. We just thought that would be harmful to us. And mm-hmm. I've always felt like if you keep it to yourself, they won't they won't shoot at you. If you put it out there, yeah. you know, it becomes a commodity to be judged. And so we decided we were famous enough to decide that this is not a good idea. So we kept really out of it. Well, and also, we're both kind of bossy. We're both type A personalities. He ran his own show. I run my own show. And so it seemed like, you know, if we did work together, we'd probably kill each other. So it would be better. (laughs) But then we decided to do this book together, which is now a podcast. The book is called uh, What Makes a Marriage Last. And the podcast is called Double Date because they really were like double dates. When we started to do it, 
uh, we said, gosh, can we do this? Can we do this without, you know, arguing all the time? What will it be like, you know? And uh, it was great. It was a whole new, we, we opened up a whole new door of, to each other. And I think the, some of the things that annoyed us about each other, we saw the value in it. Mm-hmm. For, for example, um, Phil is always after me about, oh, you know, sit still for a minute. What, you're so busy. You're always running and doing them. Then he saw me at work with him. And he started to see that that's the way I put things together. I I can make things happen because I'm, you know, running three phones and making it happen. That always annoyed him. He thought I was just busy, you know, busy, busy. I felt about him is that he's so laid back, you know, that uh, it's very hard to get him to, to, you know, to act on something. And what I learned doing this project together is, Sometimes it's better to lay back. Yeah. It really is a good idea. And when we would get to a point where he, where I would be jumping for the phone, he would say to me, don't act yet. This is what I'm thinking. I think we wait till tomorrow and do such and such. And then I would think about it and say, okay, let, let's do that. And then sometimes I'd say, please let me do this. Please let me make this call. Because it was for both of us. And he said, go ahead. And then it, that would be a good idea. So we learned that that they both work. There yeah. is one way to work or one way to create, you know, a, a project. It's different in your personal life. You you learn to bounce off that. But when you're working, it's a there's more more at stake and each person thinks they know how to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. But you're uh, I think a little less patient than you are in in your in your real life. You know, oh you, yeah. You know. Oh yeah. Well, and I think for oh. both of you, if you're used to being the boss too, so for both of you to sort of step in and be strong personalities coming together, it can be this thing that's really incredible and it can also cause friction. Right. So it's cool well, that you guys that found. We, yeah, it's not that we didn't argue. We you know, or, yeah. or be at odds at things, but 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 we got we just had more respect for each other. Yeah. For, I'm for curious. The, I'm curious if you you made the decision to keep sort of your personal life private. That feels like not what the norm would have been back in the 70s and the 80s. I mean, even today, it feels very common for celebrity couples to kind of put it all out there and have the feature in the magazine and talk about it. So how did you even know, like, how did you have the self-awareness at the time to sort of hold that closer to yourself and, and kind of not let that be a public thing? Well, I think because I grew up in Hollywood. Oh, right. I, so you I, had that I perspective. How people's uh, personal lives get eaten alive. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, Phil, who did not grow up in Hollywood, had a, a very private way of being. So his privacy, his his intense privacy, and my knowledge of how it, you can get killed, um, mm-hmm. put that together and said, because at first it was, a little bit enticing. Wow, you know, we could host the Emmys together. That could be fun. We could mm-hmm. hopefully ask us to host the uh, People's Choice Awards. One on us on the cover of People magazine. As soon as we came back from our wedding, because we we ran away and got married. We got married at my parents' house. But we didn't tell anybody. And then we went to Greece on our honeymoon. So when we came back, it was like this big sensation that these two people snuck away and got married. Oh, so wow. 
Everybody wanted us to do things. And so all these offers were coming at us and the press agent for his show and my press agent were saying, oh, these are great. You could do this, you could do that. And then we just sat down. I remember on the edge of our bed and just sat and said, we've got to think this through. We're going to have to mm -hmm. really like, well, who do we want to be and how do we want to do this? And we both said, I, we think it'll be healthier if we keep our personal life private. I think we've got yeah. a better chance. Yeah. Got a chance. That's it's a really wise decision. Yeah. And I think like you can see so many things, so many relationships that have been kind of hurt in the process. When you guys were writing the book and now that you're doing the podcast, were there couples that you talked to that sort of chose the same thing or chose to kind of keep it more to themselves than have it be a public facing yeah. brand? Yeah, yes, I, th I think a lot of them, you know, Kira Sedgwick and Kevin Bacon, he really didn't want to do it. She wanted to do it and he didn't. And I think he was thinking oh, it's going to be too personal. It's going to be mushy. You know, guys don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Right? yeah. So, and Phil, when I first brought up that it was my idea to do this, he said, I don't want to do it. I wouldn't want to talk about our marriage. And I said, well, let's just, you know, let's find out. I mean, 40 years married, what is the secret sauce? You know, mm -hmm. it turned out to be a, a a very fun adventure and he opened up way more than I expected him to because something happens when you, you know, if, if Phil and I went on a double date with you and your guy, you would say something and then I would say something and then they would talk about whatever and everybody opens up. Yeah. It's just four people, you know, yeah. if there were six or eight people, you wouldn't, but if it's just two people across from the table talking to each other, everybody starts telling stories. Yeah. And, you know, and when I first thought about doing the book, I said to Phil, I don't want to do a how to book because how to is like a pamphlet. Mm -hmm. It's really a what book. Like, what did you do when you were faced with this situation? You know, what did Kira Sedgwick and Kevin Bacon do when they lost all their money to make Bernie Madoff? All their savings. Oh, wow. 30 really? Years, 30 years of savings. They lost to Bernie Madoff. Wow. Well, uh, Michael J. Fox and Tracy Pollan, three years into their marriage with one child, he finds out he's got a diagnosis for life of Parkinson's disease. Mm -hmm. What do you do? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it's just one after another and people who lost a child and people who, all the things you can imagine and the competitiveness of two careers. There's that in there. There's yep. so, so many different things that in in a marriage like life I mean somebody goes up and somebody goes down and somebody comes up and then somebody together and then you're not and then you know and Jesse Jackson you know the great civil rights leader mm -hmm. he not only had an affair out of his marriage but he had a child whoa uh, and he's a reverend and <laughs> right and his wife is so great I mean honest to God she is such a firecracker and at one point she said I have five children. The Reverend has six. And I said, <laughs> and I said well, what do you mean? And she went into this story that he had a child with another woman. And uh, that, that child is a grown girl, was 20 years old, young woman, just graduated from college. And I said, did, did you throw him out of the house when you found out? She said, I did. I did throw him out. But he's not going anywhere. And then he came right back and, you know. And she said, this marriage is a test of my character. Ooh, you know? Yes. 
I mean, I learned so much, you know. Yeah. Every story is like somebody teaches you something. I mean, I love what Viola Davis said. She said, your marriage doesn't begin when you're walking down the aisle. Your marriage begins when you're sitting across from the person you love and you realize that they have a habit that you really cannot stand. (laughs) And you think, this will drive me right up the walls. That is so funny. I cannot live with this. And then you say, okay, but I love him, so I'm going to have to deal with it. And it's true. Yes. It's true. Um, So true. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, so I I learned a lot. Yeah. How many interviews did you guys do? 40. Really? Oh, my gosh. Wow. How long? Did it take you to to compile yeah. all those conversations? Yeah. Well, it, the the book is six hundred pages. Oh my gosh! When we when we wrote our proposal for the book, we said it'd be thirty three hundred fifty pages. Uh, this is my eighth book, so I most of my books have been three hundred fifty, four hundred ten, you know, like that. Mm-hmm. And we said each of the stories would be about twenty five hundred words. Does that seem oh, that's a good article, right? Yeah. There, there are five thousand words. Elton John's is 6,000 words. Oh, my gosh. When you really sit down and somebody starts telling you something, you want to get, mm-hmm. to the, you know, and how did that happen? And and what did you do then? And Yeah. Know, Kelly Ripa and Mark Consuelos, who I adore, they are really great together. And they were having a fight the first year of their marriage. And he took off her wedding ring, her wedding ring, and threw it in the bushes. And I said, oh, my God, what did you do? And she said, I just stood there. And I said, I said to him, I'm still here. <laughs> Not the greatest. Such she a said, good line. Yeah, she said, I'm still here. She said, look, I know you're afraid. I'm afraid, too. I know you think you made a mistake. I think I did, too. We're just scared. Let's go find the ring and let's get over this. And they've been married 30 years and have three kids. And they're a great Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but things like that happen. You get scared. Was there anything, any in the conversations that you had, did you hear anything that surprised you? That you sort of couldn't believe that that was that well, person's story? Right, right, right. Well, I mean, it surprised me that somebody would tear, take their wedding band off and throw it and you not throw leave. Throw it to the bushes. Yeah. And just think, you know, this guy's just way too crazy for me. Yeah. Um, I think well, mostly what I found is that, and Phil and I talked about this, because a lot of people have said, well, you know, what did you learn? And what we basically learned is everybody that we interviewed were people that had been married over 30 years. Mm-hmm. And then we have a couple that, we, that are under 20 because we wanted to get a younger person's perspective. But the whole idea was like over 25, 30, 40 years, that the people who stay together that long have made a real decision not to look for the exit sign. Mm. When you lose all your money to Bernie Madoff, when your husband cheats on you and has a baby, when your husband comes mm-hmm. down with Parkinson's three years into your marriage, you're not, you're not the people who say, I'm out of here. And mm-hmm. that, that really is the difference. Because as Kira Sedgwick said, there can be no plan B. This is it. Mm. And if you think like that, and I'm sorry that your marriage didn't work out, but you have beautiful children and that's, I do. That's a bonus. I do. But, um, not everybody gets it right the first time. I mean, my husband was before, 
not everybody gets it right. And it's a, yeah. it's a blessing if you get uh, another chance at it. I really love being married. I think it's a, a wonderful yeah. state, you know. How long have y'all been married now? 40 years. 40 years. Did you, was it 40 years in 2020 or 2021? In 2021, we'll be married 41 years in May. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Did you, did you have, I mean, last year was COVID, so probably not a big party, but like, did you do anything special to celebrate your 40th anniversary? We actually cooked. Oh, that's really, cool. Yeah. We made my mother's spaghetti sauce. We made a really big dinner. We baked cookies and we just did all that because we usually go away on a trip. We go away every anniversary. I mean, we've gone all the way to China and Russia and Indonesia. And sometimes we just go like up to Washington, Connecticut, you know, wherever we have a chance. If we have a week or two weeks or we only have a weekend, we've always decided that that's what we're going to do on our anniversary. And especially because I was living with Phil and four boys. So for Mm -hmm. us to get away was the best present we could give ourselves. So to have time, I mean, time is the greatest gift you can give anybody, you know. So that's what we decided to do. And and it, it's great because we saw the world. We've seen the mm-hmm. world. So this year, of course, we couldn't go anywhere. So we said, okay, well, let's just eat. Let's just eat ourselves into oblivion. That feels like my favorite way to celebrate anything. So I, I like that as the choice. What was it like to go from you didn't anticipate being married to you're married and now you have four boys? That like was sort of thrust into this world. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I think when you're in love, you're not very realistic. You know, friends of mine said to me, are you sure you want to marry a guy with four kids who lives with him? I said, oh, it'll be fine. You know, they're darling, you know, and they'll all graduate from college and leave. Well, as you know, I don't know how old your kids are, but they never leave. <laughs> you know, you're a parent until you die. So right. I, I didn't really realize that. So that was kind of scary at first when I realized, oh, this is going to be going on forever. But I'm lucky that they're good guys. And, and he has a daughter that lived with his uh, ex-wife. Uh, but it was a lot. I mean, I, yeah. I lived alone. I had uh, two dogs and I had a big, a big house in California that I bought with my that girl money. And I was perfectly happy. I had a, I had a pool and a little barbecue and I didn't really need much. And we'd been, we'd been going out about six months and, and Phil asked me to marry him after six months. And I said, I told you, I, you know, don't make me make you feel bad, but I don't want to get married ever. You know, yeah. it's not you. I, I, I'm, I'm crazy for you, but I, I don't want to ever get married. And so we went together for about three years and he was very smart and never brought it up again. We just were together and uh, traveling with the boys taking four boys to Hawaii or whatever. And then one day, we, oh, we went to a friend's wedding. And I cried at the wedding because it was a really good friend of mine. And she had not had a good first marriage. And she found the right guy now. And I was crying for her. And, and we got in the car. And I said to him, maybe I do want to get married. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And fun. then how long after that did you guys actually... Oh, just a couple. Eloper. Okay. Okay. We got married in my parents' house. So oh, okay. Was, we didn't elope, elope. We we just quietly got married there, and in the morning we left for Greece, and so nobody knew, you know. And it's so funny. You love this. We're on the plane going to Greece, 
and Phil had gone to the bathroom and there was a woman sitting across from us and I had my diamond ring and my, you know, the whole thing. And the woman said to me, are you Marlo Thomas? And I said, yes. And she said, are you married? And I, you know, the blushing bride, I went, yes, I am. This is the first person in the world to know that I'm married. How I said, yes, funny. I am. And she said, oh, I'm so disappointed. Why would you get married? <laughs> oh, no. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And, uh, and, and she, you know, and I remember, you know, uh, people would write me, young women, old women, all kinds of women would write me and say, I always say to my mother, Marlo Thomas isn't married and she's not crazy. You know, you've always been my beacon that I could say, you know, wow. and now you're getting married. So there were a lot of people were very disappointed in me. Isn't getting- that interesting? My, my marriage was pretty public. And um, when we announced that we were splitting up, what the thing that surprised me most was people who said, if you, if your marriage isn't going to make, what hope do I have? And I thought, how in the world did a stranger become your example of what is possible in your own life? It feels like a lot of pressure then to be the person that kind of people are holding up as the example of who you're supposed to be. How did you, how did you handle that responsibility or did you not own it because that's not your well uh, it confused me I'll say that you know at Mm -hmm. first Phil came back to the seat and I told him he said oh what woman said that you know he's gonna go punch her out right 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 there were women who wrote him who were very disappointed one woman wrote him and said um every day uh when my children go to school and my husband goes to work I put my lipstick on and I watch you at nine o'clock so People have fantasies about people. Right. They have fantasies about them in terms of they want to be with them or they have a fantasy that this is the perfect couple, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and you're not the perfect couple, you know, you just, you got all the same lousy stuff that everybody else has. It's just whether or not you decide to get through it. Yeah. And and then each time, uh, who was, I think it was Tracy Pollan who said, when you get through something hard, you think, well, we did that. We'll be able to do the next thing. You know, yep. it, it, it's like that. I know Allie Wentworth and George Stephanopoulos talked to, about their daughter who was in junior high or something. And she wasn't invited to the birthday party, you know, the mean girl things. Right. Mm-hmm. So she was left out and they did. You know, what do they do? They sit there and watch her cry. Allie said, I wanted to call the mother. And George says, you can't do that. You don't want her to call the mother and then they're going to, you know, force her to bring. She said, so to get to go through these things with your children that are so hurtful to them that it kills you, you can't fix it. That's a pain in your heart that you and your husband share together. And mm-hmm. uh, and we've been through that, too, with the kids, with the boys who got cut from the baseball team. And it's like the worst day of your life if you're, if you're 12. Six, right, right. 16 or 15 you get cut from the baseball team it's heartbreaking and Mm -hmm. that's what life is you don't get get everything you want when you want it you know yeah yeah my gosh this is such an incredible conversation especially since I started out thinking that you were talking about dates on a calendar and not dates with your partner so that's (laughs) wonderful (laughs) yeah I I am so appreciative that I got the chance to meet you. I, I would hope someday when we are not in a pandemic, I can meet you in real life. 
But this was such a treat to get to talk to you. Oh, thank Uh, you. If um, people are listening and they want to find the podcast, where can they find that? Where should they grab the book? Tell us all the things. Okay. Well, the book, which is called uh, What Makes a Marriage Last, uh, you can buy that on Amazon. It's a Harper's book. Uh, It'll be out in paperback in May if you want to save your money till May. Uh, (laughs) It's a wonderful book. It's it's quite chunky. And, oh, actually, it's right here. This is this book. Look how big that is. That is awesome. It's a giant book. Uh, It's definitely not a pamphlet. (laughs) I know. And the podcast, you can get it on iHeartRadio or Apple or wherever you get podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, I think it's going to be, I think people are going to love it because you don't usually hear, for example, this interview, you're asking me questions. Mm -hmm. Uh, I only asked you, I only got to ask you one question. Believe me, Mm -hmm. I want to ask more. But the, uh, when you have a double date, as I said, if two couples are talking, then everybody's talking, everybody's sharing, Mm -hmm. everybody's telling stories and anecdotes that you can learn from. And it's funny and it's sad. And it's sexy. And so uh, I, I think they'll enjoy it. Yeah, it actually sounds fantastic. You've already told me like three stories about celebrity couples that I didn't <laughs> know. So I feel like we're all excited to listen to everything you guys chatted about on your date. <laughs> yeah. Well, Marlo Thomas, I cannot believe I'm talking to you. It's oh. an absolute delight. Thank and you. I wish you all the success with the launch of the podcast. We will make sure and tell everybody to go listen when it comes out and I am really grateful for the time uh, my pleasure I hope we do thank get you Bye-bye. from your lips to God's ears we're <laughs> gonna get through this thing your faves faves is hosted by me Rachel Hollis the show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with production support from Sterling Coates Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Your Faves Faves is a 3% chance production.